I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. get some bonus content today guys it's a sunday we decided we wanted to do a recap and a preview leading into the portland game and coming off the back of a oh a very frustrating game against uh, milwaukee Giannis just doesn't foul out right i mean that's that's the biggest takeaway from this right like Giannis can just do what Giannis wants to say it's disappointing is putting it lightly and here's the thing with the Giannis calls i I don't want to pin it just on that because I don't think that would do credence. The Bucs are a very, very good team. And the Celtics came out flat again. We saw the Celtics have a really, really rough start, get into a deficit early, and then spend a lot of energy digging out of that hole in the first quarter. Jason Tatum was a net negative on the night. But I really don't know what the NBA is playing at with these calls. We're talking about not once, not twice, but probably about three times if you want to include the goal 10 call, you're talking four times of calls that should have gone against Giannis Antetokounmpo and they didn't. And some of them are just really obvious. You can debate the Marcus Smart charge all you want, but the, the play where they were reviewing the hostile act on Daniel Tice and then they didn't end up calling even just a basic foul. Look, if you're looking at a play because you think there's a hostile act, that means at the very bare minimum, it's a foul. And the NBA referees, like the NBA officiating, went back and basically twisted it twice. They changed their stance in the situation twice in order to justify not making a call. And I just, I don't know how you beat that. The Boston Celtics just can't put themselves in those type of predicaments. You know, you can't, you can't, you can blame the refs if you want, but they have to find ways and figure out ways to not use the refs at all because they're never going to get calls. Like it just, no matter how many times the Celtics go to the foul lines, it seems like the fouls that they really need are never called. And those were game-changing fouls. The foul, the charge file, foul, that should have been a charge or whatnot. If you want to say his left foot was still, you know, the ankle was still up in the air and that's why they didn't call it the charge, even though they called it the charge on the court because Giannis fouled out. And when they went to review it, of course, he doesn't file out. So when they went to review it, OMVP himself, you know, stayed in the game, remained in the game, finished with 36 points. That foul didn't bother me the most, though. The one that bothered me the most was the one that Tim just talked about. The one on Daniel Tice, which was just, it was, it was, it was an offensive foul. It should have been called, and it wasn't. And I don't know if you guys watch Giannis. Not only does he travel, and this is not a hate towards Giannis. He's the league MVP. He's, he's a superstar in the NBA, and we get it. We've been watching the NBA for a long time. We get the superstar status. We get the James Harding status. We get the Michael Jordan, LeBron James status, even though LeBron doesn't get fouls <laughs> called. Like, but we do get the status. We understand that, right? We, we've almost accepted that. Being a Celtics fan, you've almost – or a Celtics expert, you almost expect that to happen night in and night out. But like Tim said, listen, you went to review it because it was, it was blatant something. It was something that was, that was a foul. Didn't have to be flagrant. Should have been a flagrant. (laughs) 
but it wasn't, and it wasn't even called the following. These are game changing. When, when we say game changing, guys, we're talking about momentum swings. And that's what hurts the Celtics the most. And then, and you know, again, they can't put themselves in the predicament. So I'm going to stick with that. That's going to be my, my thing for the Celtics. You talked about starting out flat. Don't start out flat. <laughs> you can't start out flat because now you're climbing yourself out of a hole for the whole game. And the Celtics didn't get the lead to the, to the fourth quarter. They didn't lead once until the fourth quarter. Maybe the third quarter, the end of the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken. They had like an 80-something to 83 lead or something like that. And I remember it ending in a tie at the end of the third quarter. But it's tough, man. It's, it's so tough um, when you can't get certain those type of fouls called. So we're not going to blame the refs. I hope we're just going to say that the Celtics next game are going to have to go out there and just be on their A-plus game. Not A-game, but A-plus game. Because guess what? We're playing against a couple of more – a couple of other superstars, maybe at least one. Yeah, I mean, the biggest worry is whether or not Tatum's going to be any closer to Jason Tatum and not as the same as the absolute net negative he was in that game. The, my biggest shock was they kept running with him. Like You knew it weren't falling for him. He wasn't really doing his job on D too much either. He was missing his rotations. Yet he continued to see time on the floor. And I get that for the first three quarters. Keep going to him, try and force feed him, see if you can get him hot. At least then if Jason Tatum's hot, you've got some form of opportunity to keep the scoreline close going down the stretch, which they did without Tatum. But if he was hitting these shots, then it would have been a different story. By the fourth quarter, he's not getting hot. You've seen it. You've gave him every shot he needs to take. You've gave him mid-range. He's found his long-range game. He's drove to the rim. It's just not falling. But he continues to be on the floor, and I get it. He's the team star. He's the guy who everybody's expecting to lead this team to the finals or the Eastern Conference finals. But if your shot isn't falling and you can pivot and go, then do it. Go and get buckets. Don't just leave Tatum in there for Tatum's ego or to try and let Tatum work through it. He tried to work through it for three quarters. It didn't work. Jalen Brown looked good in, in flashes. Then he looked bad in flashes. He had a streaky game. For me, the best two guys in that game were Marcus Smart and Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward, to me, was probably the most steady hand. He had spells on guarding Giannis. He done good. He got underneath Giannis. Marcus Smart had spells guarding Giannis. He done good. I am very, very, very worried moving into this Portland game that we're going to see Tatum from Milwaukee and not Tatum from February. I think they just need to see a rebound here, right? So the way I've looked at it and... I think I've seen it on Twitter, people talking about it. I really think with Jason Tatum, he should not have gotten that last scrimmage game against Houston off. Because at that point in time, he really hadn't been in a good offensive rhythm. Out of like the core guys, besides the fact we've been worrying about Kemba's, excuse me, um, besides the fact that we've been worrying about Kemba's knee, Jason Tatum struggling right out the gate is not a good sign. He's probably one of the core guys that you've seen really, really struggle offensively and then you look at the situation where he ends up going two for 18 from the field 0 for 4 and then from three and then in the last quarter towards the end he had three misses three key misses when you're trying to close out the game you lost by seven let's be technical as well technically it's one for 17 because that other made bucket yeah was just a because he was closest to the tipping so he scored one in 17 attempts this is probably like the second worst game he's ever had, I think, in my opinion. I've never probably, seen him play worse. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's the bright side. Like, you, you can't play worse. I'm hoping. I'm, I'm praying. But the team overall really did struggle offensively. They weren't great from the field. A lot of their guys were struggling, and especially from three-point land. They were not hitting the shots they needed to. They shot under 30% for the game. And they had key guys go over. You know, they had Tatum go over four. Gordon Hayward went over three. Marcus Smart had a decent game. Jalen Brown went three for 10 from three. But it is tough. Look, it happens in the NBA. Superstars are going to struggle. My, my, I guess my question is, as a coach, like, how do you take out your star? Like, how, how do you remove your star? You know, that, not that Jason Tatum has this big ego or whatnot, but it could be detrimental to his ego if he gets benched. It's different if he walks over to a coach and says, look, coach, something's not right. Take me out. Let's get this W. That, like, that would be superstar respectable if he did something like that. Not sure if he would ever do that because you want to see Tatum get into some type of rhythm. I think I kept tweeting, he's going to have an awesome fourth quarter. He's going he's gonna to come back in the fourth quarter and drop like 15 points, and then it's, it's going to get his rhythm back. It's going to get his confidence back. I just think the matchup was tough. You asked him to defend some tough people. He had to rotate on, on Giannis at times. He was trying to defend Chris Middleton when he got that foul in Chris Middleton's face. I mean, it's just hard. So I, it, it was tough on him, I think, not to give him any type of an excuse to not score because he just wasn't finishing around the rim. Like, he was getting to the rim and just shooting crazy missed weird layups and just missing off the backboard and or whatnot it just wasn't that his shot wasn't falling from the three or a long two or whatever he couldn't finish um he didn't make one midi uh and that's the one shot that adam is talking <laughs> that adam is talking about but you know let's just look at some of the bright sides of the game listen wanamaker gave us good minutes he gave us decent minutes right he got he got us 14 points off the bench. That's something that we need. We knew Marcus Smart was going to step up, even though he took some crazy wild shots, right? He took some weird shots. Wanamaker took some weird shots. Listen, my, my positive comes from Kimball Walker. I, I will say this. If Kimball Walker played this game, we wouldn't have lost. And, and the whole game, excuse me. We wouldn't have lost. And why do I say that? Well, we all know how Kimball plays in this offense. And they had they – had, they struggled defending him off the pick and roll screen. They were they were they were struggling. Kimball was getting open. Everyone's shot wasn't falling in that first quarter. It was awkward. But Kimball was the one that was getting shots to go in to keep us afloat in that first quarter. The only thing that was messing us up mentally was the fact that we knew that his minutes were limited. So if he played 18, if he played what he played, 10, 12 minutes. He played 19 minutes compared to pretty much every other starter had 30-plus minutes. Yeah, but even in the first half, he played a lot of minutes. Yeah, like, he played like 12 minutes over the first half. Because they had to dig him out of that hole. It's, I understood, God. And that's my point. That's, that's my argument. It's just like, man, if, if – and you couldn't manage his minutes anymore because, like Tim just said, we, he had to help the Celtics dig themselves out of the hole. Listen – if Kemba Walker, and I know they're managing his minutes due to his knees, and that's fine. Listen, remember, these are just eight games to get into playoff shape, and they're for seeding. We understand that. I don't. I, I think the Celtics can go they, – they, they don't matter if they're one through eight. I don't think they want to be eight, and they're not going to be one, right? So that, that's – they know that. But I think the Celtics are going to be just fine no matter where they are seated 
and we just need to get into a rhythm with with everybody in there. I think that's all the all it comes down to, guys. They just gotta find themselves and get into a rhythm. Remember, I said a, a couple of episodes ago, if the Celtics are making their shots because they were having some great looks, this shots just was going ding dong. I'm out. They just weren't going in. They just weren't falling. And that's the Celtics team. It and it's weird because you watch every other team shoot and it goes in, but when we shoot, it, they go out. If the Celtics shots are falling. It's a different ball game, and teams know that. And that's why I'm not super worried. I do know we got a tough matchup coming. I can't wait to talk about how tough it is because I know on paper the stats are super close when it comes to stats on paper. But I can't wait to talk about that. So, guys, I'm not super worried. I, I know that they struggled. But, listen, they lost by seven at the, at the very end. I mean, the score was really close down the, down the end stretch, right? Then at the very end, I mean, it kind of started spreading out. They, they did against the number one team in the NBA, against the MVP who just gets whatever. I thought they played rather well to close out the game. I thought they started very slow, and that's something that they have to not ever do. I hope I said that right, and that wasn't a double negative coming from the English majors. But I hope they figure that out. I mean, my biggest takeaway that's a negative, I'm going to give you one negative, one positive, and then we'll pivot over to looking at Portland. My biggest negative was Wanamaker in terms of his tunnel vision. Do you know how frustrating it is to see that dude run the fast break when there's guys trailing him that are easy dump offs for better looks, and he just goes hero mode thinking he's Russell Westbrook trying to get to the rack every five seconds. I get so angry that sometimes I have to walk away from the TV because it really annoys me. Every other aspect of his game, he plays selfless basketball. He plays great team basketball, except on a fast break where apparently he forgets how to pass. And that can cost the team four to six points a night when he's in there. Those four to six points would have made it a one-point game. And then we're looking at a positive, my biggest positive was Gordon Hayward. He looked like a Gordon Hayward that will elevate this team's trajectory moving into the playoffs. For however long they've got him, he's going to be a real big factor defensively, offensively. He was doing his backdoor cuts to get open for alley-oops. He was hitting his shots from the mid-range. John Corrales even pointed out on Twitter that teams might have moved away from the mid-range game, but when you're playing a team like Milwaukee, that's where the holes are. That's where you can get your shots from. And having a guy like Hayward that is so cash money from that mid-range is going to be a huge weapon for that team. Now we pivot to Portland, who against Memphis were absolutely fantastic. Listen to this. Against Memphis, they had three guys score over 20. Carmelo Anthony, 21. CJ McCollum, 33. Dame Lillard, 29. Then they had Nurkic at 18 and Gary Trent Jr. at 17. That is some scoring power against a team that knows how to start grinding out wins now it wants to make that eighth seed. I worry about the Celtics' ability to keep CJ McCollum under wraps because they'll be focused on Lillard, they'll be focused on Melo, but we've seen it all through this season, all through last season. If you've got two very ball-dominant, very good scoring guards, the Celtics struggle to contain both. I agree. Yeah, I agree as well. Um, sorry, Wayne, you can go off. Listen, this is not going to be an easy game. 
Look, I just want to read how close these teams are in stats. All right, so points per game, Portland's at 114. Boston is at 113. Shooting percentage, Portland's at uh, 46.2%. Boston's at 45.8%. Three-point percentage, Portland 37.3%. Boston 36.1%. Rebounds per game, Boston 46. Portland 45.4. So Boston rebounds better. And turnovers per per game, Boston 13.7, Portland 13.1. I know that their records are super different. I know that Boston has a a much better record, but these teams are super similar. And there's a couple of guys on Portland that I think are going to try to stand out. One is Carmelo Anthony, and he just has this, he, he just has this knack for Boston or something. He just scores a lot, right? And then Gary Trent. So I know you expect McCollum and I know you expect Lillard to do their thing. I get it. And it's tough. And Boston struggles against those two types of those two guards. When they have two guards, they struggle. We got, we get it. We understand that. But I'm worried about these other two. I feel like Boston can find ways to limitate, limit those guys due to, to good team defense. Team defense on Boston, I think, is going to be stout. This is why I think Jason Tatum has a much better game. Why? Size. Um, he's not. Listen, when you're playing against Giannis, it's a mentality to where you already know everything you do is going to be a foul. Everything. When you're playing against this team, it's just a little bit different mindset. It's a little bit not that you come into the game more relaxed, but you could come into this game playing more like who you are. I think Tatum will find ways to get his scoring off due to the fact that they just don't – Carmelo ain't, is not going to be able to keep up with Jason Tatum. Neither is McCall. Like, they, like When they rotate on our guys, it's going to be a little bit tough. I, I think the big deal with Portland is they're finally healthy. And as much as we talk about Boston Celtics having health issues, if you look at Portland specifically, Zach Collins missed a bunch of time. Joseph Nurkic came back from that terrible, terrible leg break. The one thing that probably hurts Portland a little bit is Trevor Ariza, I think, is out of the bubble because of uh, everything with COVID and health reasons. I think he just had a son. I'm pretty sure I might be talking off the cuff there. But the big thing for me with Portland is you've got Carmelo Anthony getting into the equation where he's now – we've got slim mellow hype going on right now. So if Carmelo Anthony has found another level to his game by getting into shape, slimming down, especially, you know, in his twilight years, that keeps him an active threat. The fact that he went out and had a good scoring game against Memphis is good, but I want to see how consistently he can do that. But for Boston, this is going to be really dependent on them having some really good wing play. So as you said, Wayne, we're going to need to see a better game from Jason Tatum. I don't think he can play nearly as bad as he did the other night. I don't think that Portland is anywhere near as good a team as Milwaukee, but they're a team right now that's hungry, right? They're trying to get into that eighth eighth seed or seventh seed, whatever they can get their hands on. They're trying to claw their way back into that playoff picture, which means they're going to be hungry and they need every single win they can get. And now that they're finally healthy and they've got key guys back into the equation, I'm really interested to see how Boston handles it. Um, Adam has always gushed about uh, CJ McCollum and what he's able to do offensively. So I think that's also a big challenge for Jalen Brown. Because uh, as good as Chris Middleton is, I think C.J. McCollum is just a very different player. And my biggest worry is how they're going to match up 
You've got Nurkic's back, so they're running Nurkic and Collins playing the four and five. Collins is a fantastic floor stretcher, but he can also get his work done in the mid-range and down on the block. But it doesn't give you anywhere to hide Kemba because there's two exceptionally talented scoring guards. Then there's an exceptionally like legendary level scoring wing in Melo. He might not be at the same talent level he was during his early Denver days or through his early period in New York, but the guy still knows how to get buckets. He's done it his whole career. So offensively, they are going to give the Boston Celtics a nightmare matchup problem because Kemba is going to have to guard one of these guys and they're going to have to rotate very, very precisely and intensely and their closeouts are going to have to be perfect in order to stop these guys from penetrating. And the thing is, if you stop CJ from penetrating, then you've probably left Lillard open that has range for days. He's got that Hall of Fame limitless range badge if we're talking 2K. That's my biggest worry. Like, do you kind of say to Kemba in this game, like, look, you're going to be on a minutes restriction. It might be better to put Smart in the starting lineup for this one to match up against Dame and have you run off the bench? Or is Kemba going to start early and then they bring Marcus in? It, for me, this game screams Marcus Smart is required on the opening lineup. But so is Gordon Hayward. So is Jalen Brown. You need your best on-ball defenders all on this floor. And then a couple of off-ball guys like Jason Tatum, Daniel Tice. Because Portland's offense, now Nurkic is back. It's no joke. And then when Nurkic sits, in comes Hassan Whiteside. In comes Gary Trent Jr. Mario Hazonia had a beast of a crossover in the last game against Memphis. I don't know if you guys saw that. Put his defender on skates. It it was the player of the day, uh, seriously. The way he crossed up his man, like... Has only came into the league with a bunch of hype and hasn't really filled it out much. But when he's hot, he's hot. Um, their offense worries me a little bit coming into this game. Yeah, I agree. And this is what I was talking about. Their offense can be scary. But listen, guys, they played against Memphis and they went into overtime and they won by five in overtime. This team is probably drained, probably tired. And I know, Tim, you said that they're pretty much healthy. Well, Damian Lillard did tweak something. So Damian Lillard isn't 100% healthy. So, I mean, and neither is our starting point guard. So that might offset a little bit somewhat. Adam, I couldn't agree more, though. This is going to come down, and I said it, to defense on Baldy. This is what it's going to come down to. And this is a game where I hope Marcus Smart – this is a game where I hope we don't need Marcus Smart's offensive threatness. Like, we don't need that. Like, we we want him to play his game, but we need him – to find ways to affect C.J. McCollum's shot, find ways to be able to rotate from McCollum because they you're you're going to get you're going to get a crazy rotation. Portland's going to try to force Marcus Smart on on the bigs on everybody on that team to drain his energy, to drain his body, so that way he won't be as effective. So we need Marcus Smart to be 100% effective, and I think he's going to be just that. You know why? because he was fined $15,000 for speaking his mind about the NBA officials. And I think right there, you want to talk about light and fires and people's behinds. I think right there, Marcus Smart, it, it, he, he gets it. It happens to him. And he typically comes back to play very well off of these type of incidents that happen to Marcus Smart. So I can see Marcus Smart being a lock 
lockdown defender. We talking about 2K right now. I'm talking about lockdown, Hall of Fame, with the, the glitch of the badge, whatever. I can see Marcus Smart being a lockdown. And we've seen it before. We've seen them lockdown superstars. We've seen it. And I think you're going to get some of that today. My issue or my concern, Tim, before you go is how do we how do we roll Kimba into this? And I like when Adam said, you know, maybe start him and then quickly get him, you know, out after two or three minutes, get Marcus Smart in there and find ways to Brad has to do a better job. I don't want to say a better job, but he has to just do better at managing those limited minutes for Kimba because there's going to come a point in time where they're going to need Kimba to be in that game. And the funniest thing about that before I stopped was that Kimba was, he was upset. He was upset and he wanted to go back in the game and he gave Brad, he gave Brad a mouthful and Brad just laughed it off. Like, I love it. I love it. I love it. So go ahead, Tim. Before you get into it, Tim, we're going to head to break. I want the people to wait for your, uh, your response just because it's a quick hitting episode. So we need to fit the break in and then get back. Let Tim speak his mind. Then we'll quickly give you our take on who's going to win, what to watch out for. And then we've got a few quick hitters from around the league. And then we'll let you guys get on with your Sunday. So we'll be back momentarily. Uh, yeah, so before I go building off of everything with Marcus Smart, I do want to say I did a little bit of research on the Trevor Ariza situation. Ariza is specifically staying out to spend some time with his son uh, for visitation, so it's not like he just had a kid, but I just wanted to correct that information before going forward. So with Marcus Smart, I think the best thing would be to give him a little bit of a start to try and give him a chance to build some momentum. I think starting out on the right foot, getting there defensively, because that's, I think, where the Bucks game got back on the right track. They were struggling offensively. Their shots weren't falling. Then they started getting turnovers, getting points off turnovers. They're getting steals. They're running in transition. They're getting, you know, layups at the rim because one guy's out in the wing, just stole the ball. And finally, they started chipping away at that lead. So if you can get Marcus Smart in there and he's moving the ball, that's the big key thing. He's moving the ball and he's playing lockdown defense. That's what you need. Absolutely. Nine times out of 10, that's where Marcus Smart's going to do the most damage is when he's helping other people score. Creating for other people is the best thing he can do. I do think he balled out the other game, don't get me wrong, but he also was doing that in a situation where he needed to. Ideally, you're not going to him for scoring. You want Jason Tatum to do a lot of the legwork, a lot of the dirty work for you. You also need to get Gordon Hayward involved and as we talked about before, Gordon Hayward is a crucial part of this team's offense and he works in that mid range so well. So he's another guy that you need to start feeding. So if Marcus Smart goes in there, sets the tone right. And then you get Kemba in there. Kemba clearly wants to play. Kemba wants more minutes and he seems ready to get more minutes too. So I know they've been talking about raising his minute total. So I imagine he's probably going to play somewhere between 22 and 26 minutes this game. It's probably going to be my magic number would be like 24. And now here we're going to play a quick little hit, quick little hit a game. I've kind of kept this one to myself and because then you guys have to do it off the dome and it'll be an honest answer instead of something you've planned out. We're going to go man for man, each team starting lineup. Which player do you consider to be better? No homer takes allowed. So first up, Damian Lillard or Campbell Walker? Damn. I got Lillard. Yeah, Stan. Jalen Brown or CJ McCollum? I go Jalen. I go McCollum. Carmelo Anthony or Gordon Hayward? Hayward. Hayward. 
Zach Collins or Tatum? Tatum. Tatum. That's a tough one. Nurkic or Tice? Nurkic, Nurkic. I think. So Portland beat out Boston starting five, three to two in player talent. That's what we've just decided, which means you don't want to get into a shootout with these guys because we've seen it from Boston. Their shooting at the moment isn't in mid-season form. Portland's is. Their three primary scorers combined for 50, 60, 70, for about 85 of their points, maybe a little bit more. Boston's three primary guys got less than half of that. So we kind of see what we need to worry about. I was doing that little exercise to point out that this game is not going to be a walkover. This game is going to be a very, very tough matchup. And for anyone thinking that this can turn into a shootout and that Boston could win by outscoring their opponents, if this turns into a shootout, the Celtics are in trouble. You bring in Hassan Whiteside off the bench. You might see some Rob Williams in this game. I kind of think you might do, just because you're going to need the athleticism to play above the rim on defense to negate the the strength that Hassan Whiteside brings as a vertical spacer. If you put Cantor in there, then Cantor will be able to absorb the contact, but he won't be able to deter lobs the way that Rob Williams will. I would expect to see between five and eight minutes of Rob Williams this game you probably won't see much Grant in this game because I don't feel like the matchups kind of fit Grant's style of play. I really don't think he can deter the lobs. I don't think he has the lateral quickness to stay in front of some of these guys. The only, But again, he might match up well with Zach Collins on the perimeter. That's the only thing. So I'm kind of talking myself out of that as we go through. If I'm going to call it, this is going to go down to the wire. This isn't going to be a blowout. It does have the potential to go that way if Boston starts slow again. But I would consider this to be a five to eight point game. And probably if Tatum comes and Tatum hits 40% of his shots, then Boston will win that game. As long as Brown, Haywood and Kemba are all playing that level as well. If one or two of those guys struggle, then Portland walk out victor- victorious and Celtics get off to an 0-2 start. How do you guys see it going? I got this game going down to the wire. That's what these two teams do. That's what they do. And for Portland, it's going to be another game going down to the wire. Even for the Celtics, I still think that the Bucks game went down to the wire. I, it did look – it was just a seven-point victory for the Bucks, but it definitely went down to the wire, and it took a controversial call for it to tip-top over to their side. So I think that Boston comes out with a little bit more confidence. I know that we think that the Trailblazers lead in the starting 5-3-2, to two, but we didn't really talk about the bench coming in and how they're going to factor in. And I think that's where we have the edge. I don't want to get into a shootout with this team like you, Adam, but I will say if Boston shots are falling because they get open, they get good looks. If they're falling, it can be, you know, a day of reckoning for the trailblazers not to be a homer, but I think Boston edges this out. I got a total score of two twenty-seven, but I think Boston edges it out. Um, so I'm giving I'm giving the tip to Boston for this. I think they edge out over the Portland Trailblazers down the wire. I think it's one of those games. I, I definitely agree with that sentiment. I think it's going to be a high scoring game. I know that we were talking about how defense is really important. I think it's just going to be who's able to just get a little bit of a defensive edge because overall, yeah, we don't want to get in a shootout with this team. But at the end of the day, I think based on how both these teams play offensively, I think it's just going to be very high scoring. 
I think it's just going to be a really, really, really tough, gutsy win. And I think Boston will pull it through, especially because that Bucks game's got to be heavy on their minds. It was winnable. Jason Tatum, I want to see what his attitude is coming out the gate. I don't want to see him getting deterred or upset by shots not falling. I want to see him come in and ready to just rip someone apart. And that's the kind of attitude you're going to need from him. He's going to be getting to the rim. He's going to be trying to draw fouls, get to the line. If you can't get buckets at the rim and you can't get it from the arc, just get foul calls because that's where you're going to make your money. Attack defensive weak links. We already have seen him cross up Hassan Whiteside and size him up for a deep, deep three in the last time I saw them play Portland. So that being said, you need a big game from him. And I think Marcus Smart's going to be the key piece if they start him to try and give a little bit of a defensive tone. Either way, I, I think it's going to be a tough game. And I, I agree, Wayne, I think your point total is pretty close. I think it's going to be like in the hundred and teens for both teams. And I don't know if that's just a symptom of the NBA right now, but it's going to be high scoring with the Celtics one. Okay, so to move on to what's happening around the league now, and we'll keep this nice and quick. Toronto showed their credentials as a, sleep, as a sleeper in the East, locking down the Lakers on Saturday, beating them 107-92. I've said it once, I'll say it again. People are sleeping on Toronto when defensively they're one of the more diverse and dynamic teams in the league on that end of the floor. Carl Lowry showed out. And they locked down champions electing the Lakers. I mean, a lot of people have the Lakers as the, you know, the eventual champions. And one game isn't much to read into, but Toronto have done this all season long. They've shown that they're very long, they're very good at rotating, and they've got the defensive acumen to shut teams down on any given night. Moving on, you know, the Clippers absolutely torched the Pelicans. Did anyone see that game? Oh, bro. It was ridiculous. Like, they had a 40-something point lead at one point, and I, I had to ask, was this for real? Um, so, yeah, I saw the game, and it was, it was, it was rough for those, for those Pelicans. And Zion looked... Below Zion. average? Yeah. I, I, yes. Yes, sir. That's exactly... I, I didn't want to say it, but he just doesn't look NBA-ready. Is that fair? He, does, he doesn't look like he's in NBA-ready shape. So the hype for Zion right now isn't what, you know, and he hasn't played a lot. So let's, let's attest it to that. But he just doesn't look super great against really good NBA teams. And they got beat really bad. To be fair, it is the Clippers. And the Clippers are a very hard-playing team. And they also lost a very, very close game to the Lakers right out the gate. So that's just bears credence to the fact that they were coming in very, very angry, and they beat up on a Pelicans team that is clinging on to dear life to any playoff hope they have. So it just goes to show, just any given night, you just don't want to fight an angry team. Then you've got the Heat oh, torching again, another another big win, absolutely burning up the Nuggets, winning by 20 points, showing out Bam, Jimmy, Kendrick Nunn. These guys all put it on the floor. They managed to score from deep. They managed to score in close against Denver and a team that's the West's outside team that a lot of people feel like Jokic and Murray and these guys are going to be a really tough out. And Miami just toyed with them at times. I didn't see all of the game. I saw bits of it. I was kind of flicking on and flicking off. I kind of paid more attention to Oklahoma um, eating up Utah. 
Did you guys see that game? I didn't see the game. I saw no. the highlights, and Chris Paul is just in all-star form right now. He's he's commanding on that team. It's just they're just different. They haven't lost yet. They haven't lost a scrimmage, and they haven't lost a regular season. And this new NBA restart, they haven't lost. So they're they're coming out to make their name known in the West. And finally, the one that I left till last because you saved the best till last. <laughs> the Sixers last. Um, it's a bit of a forced laugh, but it's definitely I was laughing for real last night. This team just cannot get out of their own way in terms of chemistry issues, in terms of implosions. Everything we're seeing from them is what we saw from Boston last season. There was a a very pop. Wayne, did you want to say something? Yeah, because I mean, I, I could wait it till you were finished, Adam. But I wonder who's the what would you say the most common factor on both of those teams? Who the is common denominator? The common denominator would be Mr. Al Horford. Al Horford. Let, let go ahead. Continue, please. There was a scene that kind of played out that then got pushed across Twitter with Joel Embiid and was it Milton or Fireball? Milton. It was Shake Milton, right? And they were chewing each other out, dude. And this is something we saw last season between, I think it was Jalen Brown and Marcus Morris at times. We saw it between Kyrie and Hayward. When, when players are chewing each other out on their own team, coming into a timeout or coming into the end of a quarter, Something somewhere is not right. You can move Ben Simmons from the one to the four. You can move him to the five. You can play him at eighth man off the bench. It's not going to change the fact that this team's chemistry is all sorts of messed up. And if they play like they did, I mean, they put up numbers. Joel Embiid put up 41 and 21 rebounds. He put up a 40-29. That's ridiculous. But they still lost because there's something there that they're not playing for each other or they're not playing for Brett Brown. And... If that continues, they might be an easy out. They might be the first big-name team to fall in this playoffs. Well, there's a couple things to that. So the Celtics might end up facing the Sixers right now, based on how it's looking and how seeding's playing out. Boston need to try and beat out the Raptors. And as we just said, the Raptors are very much a lethal team still. So with the 76ers, Al Horford was a negative 26 on the night. On top of that, Ben Simmons had a double-double, and he still was a negative 11. Why? Because the guy he was guarding, TJ Warren, dropped 50 points on his head. 53. 53. He's like the last player since like Steph or Clay to do it. Dropped like an absurd amount of points. Only player in the bubble to drop over 50, though. So you're right. That's, that's bonkers, man. But the, the point of it is, if you look at how that happened leading into that altercation between Embiid and Milton, there was a sequence where Milton was getting the ball in and then just mishandled it, got pickpocketed on defense. And then the Pacers ended up just dropping a three off of it. And then that led to the bench altercation. So I don't know how much of Shake Milton at the one we're actually going to see because so far in theory, it's, it's not working out there. I think they're trying to have him run the point or have him run at the two guard spot. And it's just, if he can't pick up the slack, I don't know what they're going to do because it's clearly not working when they're trying to run Simmons at the four and him at the one. It's just not working. Yeah, I just think you can't have your superstar player out of, out of rhythm in, in what way. You don't want him barking, and it happens. Superstars are going to bark at the, the less inferior players on the team. We've seen it all of our lives. Michael Jordan was probably the go at this too, right? So... That's what Embiid is doing. He's trying to, you know, get his players in sync. 
But if everybody thinking they're just on some type of same level and they're not, you know, or whatnot, like I can see like this, there's going to be turmoil in Philly and it's going to be great to watch as a Celtics fan. So with that being said, I don't know why I'm so I, I, this. That's the matchup I want to see. I want to see Boston versus Philly in the first round of the playoffs. Call me crazy. I I'm not as. That's just the matchup that I want to see because there's not a there's not one single player. You know you you want to know what it is, Adam and Tim. They don't have those two combo guards that I worry about. Yeah, Tobias Harris can have a great night. Okay, but that's that's a big if. And yeah, we know Ben Simmons isn't going to shoot well against the Celtics, and we know Embiid is going to get his off, and he's probably going to be injured by then. But here's the thing: like that's the matchup I want. I just feel Boston matches up the best against the 76ers, and they play them tough, especially when the games count, especially in the playoffs. They play them really tough, and we can go back and date each and one of those games and how Boston, how well Boston plays or how many 76ers games they actually won against Boston when it comes to playoff basketball. So that's the matchup I kind of want. I don't really want to see Indiana, especially Olin Depot is back, and I know they're missing some key pieces, but who knows? Sabonis may be back by the, at that point or a time or, what, or whatnot. Just looking at the list, man. Raptors are tough. We know that we matched. I, now, the Bucks are tough. I'm just gonna say who's tough, and the Heat play us tough. They play us tough. So let's let let it wither down to what it's supposed to be. And I'm sure the 76ers are gonna get their stuff together and they're gonna finish out strong. Boston just needs to focus on finishing out strong. Figure out what they're going to do. They need to take care of today's game against Portland. Get that W. Get some confidence regain that confidence and then keep the trend going once that happens once boston gets on a roll woo! and i think we can leave it there i mean the game's going to happen in a few hours we want people to be able to listen and then we'll be back tomorrow to let you know what we saw what was great what was bad and hopefully we'll be in very good spirits we will find out very soon guys enjoy the rest of your sunday i'll be on twitter doing my thing so feel free to interact with me if you don't want to interact with me, that's fine too. We will be back tomorrow and we will see what happens, man. I'm going to be watching a lot of the games from today. I want to finish on this point. Yesterday, there was, I think there was five games, right? Yes. Yes, that's 10 teams. The Sixers were sixth overall in assists made. Looked like putting Ben Simmons at the four has increased his ability to score, but has decreased his ability to play make. He usually finishes with a lot more assists than four in a game. That could be something that forces Brett Brown's hand to move Simmons back to the one. We will see how that goes in the next few games. We will catch you tomorrow. Peace out. Make sure you leave a five-star review. If you want to write something, then that's nice too. And we will see you soon tomorrow. If I said tomorrow, it will be tomorrow. Goodbye. Peace. Peace.